It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on the day that the climate change rebels finally revealed their true cause, bringing capitalism to its knees. It's got nothing to do with the climate, it's got everything to do with changing the system. Just over half a dozen of the Extinction Rebellion bozos have glued themselves to the London Stock Exchange and donned gas masks in protest at the finance industry, uh, apparently not telling the truth. I thought they'd finish with their climate nonsense, apparently not. Later on, there's going to be what is laughingly called a closing ceremony at their headquarters of filth in Marble Arch. Do they think they're in the Olympics or something? I, for one, will be cheering their exit. It's time to reclaim our city for the hard-working citizens of London. 0344 499 1000. Cheerio, climate change protesters. Don't come back anytime soon. I guess we'll see you in June when Donald Trump turns up. Coming up this morning, we go to Scotland to find out just why First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is now agitating for a second referendum on independence. The SNP make a great song and dance about voting to stay in the European Union and wanting out of the United Kingdom. But up until now, now, they've never really believed they had a chance of winning Indie Ref 2, so what's changed? We'll find out when we'll we talk to Kevin McKenna, columnist with The Observer. Plus, we'll find out why Meghan Markle is going to avoid Donald Trump on his state visit and why there could soon be a shortage of, believe it or not, wild salmon. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So amidst all the hullabaloo yesterday of Theresa May not doing anything at all, uh, amidst all the hullabaloo of Theresa May's uh, party not doing anything at all to remove her from office, amidst all the hullabaloo uh, of what was going on over in America and what was going on uh, over with Putin and uh, Kim Jong-un, the North Koreans having a summit with the Russians, amidst all the hullabaloo of everything that's been going on around us, indeed including the Manchester derby last night, uh, which caused quite a few people to have uh, quite a lot of rather bad feelings about Manchester United, uh, there was, of course, a big event in Scotland. That was that First Minister Nicola Sturgeon stood up uh, in the Scottish Parliament and decided uh, to give a half-hour speech about why it's now time to consider having a second referendum on independence for Scotland. Now, lots of people on Twitter were arguing with each other about it. As you always see, uh, the uh, Scott Nats, or Cyber Nats as some people call them, uh, were all over the place telling people they wanted to get out of Britain, that England was not for them, that Westminster was not for them, and that now there is absolutely no doubt that more people in Scotland want independence than ever before. I'm not 
not so sure, and I'm not convinced. So in order to find out, I thought what I would do uh, is go to Scotland, talk to my good friend, Mr Kevin McKenna, columnist with The Observer, formerly uh, with The Herald up there in Glasgow, and find out what the temperature actually is. Kevin, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the Independent Republic. Thank you, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. It's been too long since you and I have had a conversation about these kinds of things. I should remind the listeners that you and I used to spend hours and hours and hours talking about this stuff, quite often in hostelries, yeah. quite often in very expensive restaurants, but always with a view to uh, trying to represent the people. Yeah, and and we would also ensure that um, football came first. Yes. And- Yes, exactly right. Well, not if you're a Manchester United fan, but enough of enough of their pain, right? Enough of their pain. But tell me seriously, what is going on? Because I mean, you and I know Nicola Sturgeon pretty well. You know, she's not somebody who who takes a punt at something unless she thinks she's going to win. And for her to now come out suddenly and say that Scotland's ready to vote for a second uh, independence referendum, and this time we're going to win, I mean, something must have changed. Well, actually, if um, if you look at uh, what's been happening in Scotland over the last four, four and a half years mm. since the 2014 independence referendum um, you would probably see that that Nicola Sturgeon um, she's speaking on solid ground here or standing on solid ground mm. because many people up here thought that after the, the, the defeat albeit narrow defeat of the independence movement in 2014 that it would go away, that there was such a, a big sense of disillusionment um, and and that uh, it, would, it would be business as normal. But almost all of the opinion polls, um, backed up by uh, two Westminster elections, one Scottish election, one local authority election, a European election, have consistently returned the SNP in various degrees of majority or control and uh, on each occasion, the SNP were campaigning openly for an independent Scotland. So you could say that the mandate has existed since 2014 throughout five different elections in five different jurisdictions by returning by fairly either big majorities or, or clear leads, the only party that um, agitates mm. chiefly for Scottish independence. Right. And, and I think that sense has been... That that has also been underpinned by the absolute chaos of the Brexit negotiations and and the kind of assortment of grotesques, right wing grotesques um, of one degree or, an, or another that um, you know that are disfiguring our television screens. I've never really, I've know. never seen much evidence of the of the right wing stuff in Scotland though, and I wonder whether it's a, a lot more as well, Kevin, to do with the kind of el collapso of Scottish Labour which doesn't seem to oh, know yes. its backside from his elbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, Chicken Madras from its uh, Peach Melba. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, the, the Labour Party up here has been in a state of meltdown um, for several years. In fact, in fact, it's not even to say it was in meltdown would, would, um, would suggest that there's something there to melt. Right. It's, it's, um, it's become a, a caricature of, of a party, it's, it's a non-party. It's, its leadership is almost non-existent. Yeah. It's got nothing to say about anything. Um, and Jeremy and, Corbyn never seems to really reference it at all. It's almost as if he no, doesn't—he doesn't want to be part of Scotland. No, Corbyn comes up once or twice a year. You know, visits <clears throat> visits one of the former traditional Labour heartlands, which most of which have actually fallen to the SNP. Yeah. And oddly enough, but this is another story. 
I mean, we're even seeing we've even seen two or three um, conservative councillors in parts of Glasgow, right. where where you would you would you, you would more expect to see a, a you know a Japanese prisoner of war, you know, um, <laughs> and and that is all down to the utter incompetence, lack of leadership of Labour, and the sense of betrayal that a lot of working class people in Scotland felt about the Tony Blair and yeah. Gordon Brown years, their, their, their failure to um, to use their three-term majority yeah. to, to reverse Margaret Thatcher's anti-trade union. Well, one of the things, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we were always told in Westminster was the Scots can't afford to have uh, an independent Scotland because they'd never get into government again because they used to have something like 40-plus MPs. They don't have that number anymore. Um, but the problem as well, I think, uh, for I guess for, 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 for the UK Parliament, is that Brexit has, has so screwed everything up that if it then results in, in independence for Scotland, you know, that's going to make things even worse, isn't it? Well, nobody... You know, Theresa May, David Cameron before her, no Tory leader wants to see uh, the breakup of the union. They, they don't want to see um, a quarter of, of British Union disappear on their watch. Yeah. But Theresa May, you know, she has played into... David Cameron is a very astute, clever, wily politician with a sense of humour who's got a degree of charm and charisma. Mm. But, and, you know, and Theresa May doesn't have that, and that's okay. You know, we can't all be, you know, charming and charismatic like, like our good selves. Listen, what can you do, Kevin? It's, it's not easy exactly. out there. We can only tell them what it's like. <laughs> so, and, and to, but Theresa May has played into the SNP's hands mm. and the Scottish government's hands. She's, she's been utterly, you know, she, she's she's been utterly um, devoid of any sense of uh, cooperation. Um, she consistently refuses all offers of help. You know, right from the very beginning of the Brexit process, the SNP government in Scotland had a schedule of monthly meetings, joint ministerial meetings with their Westminster counterparts, in a spirit of cooperation to say, you know, what what can what can we do to help these negotiations along? This wasn't about, you know, taking advantage of um, the UK at a vulnerable time. This mm. was, you know, let's see if we can get the best deal. And 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 the the, the Brexit minister Mike Russell in Scotland told me, you know, we we like these these people, we deal with them. But the amount of times these meetings, these monthly meetings, were were cancelled with a day's notice, right. it just left them thinking, well, you know, okay, they told us that we loved, they loved us, that we were an integral part of the UK in 2014. Don't go Scotland. We love you. You know, we we, you're, you, we, we share everything with you. We share all our triumphs and all our disasters with you. But two years later, it's like Scotland don't even bother us. Yeah, it so sounds it, it sounds strangely you. like an echo coming from Brussels now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that, that 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 is one of the ironies, you know. The, the the SNP government in Scotland wants to leave the EU and go back into Europe. Mm. Now, what the SNP would say, well, that's that's entirely legitimate, you know. That the state of being independent is a normal state which yeah. all countries aspire to, and that that Scotland, it's entirely you know normal for Scotland to want to play a small part in the family of nations in Europe to maintain peace, which the which the EU has done in Europe, and and to you know you know, do what we can just to, to help both trade for Scotland, trade with England, trade with the rest of the world as the most successful trading yeah. bloc. Well, I mean, again, by by sort of bizarre alchemy, 
you know, a lot of the arguments that the SNP would make to Westminster are currently being made by Westminster to Brussels. So it's harder, I guess, as well for Theresa May um, to, to argue with them. Yeah, it is. And, and she could have... Theresa May could have made life a little bit easier for herself. If she... And I'm sure it wasn't just her. I think, you know, she was also being... You know, right from the start of this process, whether you're pro-Brexit, sorry, whether you're Remain or Leave, I, I think you have to you, you have to acknowledge that one of Theresa May's early big mistakes was was in being too fearful and too willing to accommodate mm. the extremists in the ERG or some of the extremists in the ERG and come up with people get lines. very upset when you call them extremists, Kevin. You, you know, you'll you'll get you'll get yourself loads of Twitter spatting enemies. Oh, I know, them. I know, but you know, I mean, up here in Scotland, you know, you're you're looking at some of these people and saying, what 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 Trafalgar. 19th, 18th century, there'll always be an England. You know, what What a lot of people, maybe some people in England, because of the independence referendum, you know, forgot. Yeah, about but you it. can say the same about some of the mad sort of extremist oh, Scott Nats, couldn't absolutely, you? Absolutely, absolutely. But, but beyond all that, there's such a high regard for England and England's achievements and England's history in Scotland, both among nationalists and people who are not nationalists. Yeah. You know, we see England as, um, you know, they're our friendly neighbours and that if there was to be an independent Scotland, and that's there's still a big if over that, England would automatically overnight become, or Scotland would become England's biggest ally. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the, that's the big question, Kevin, isn't it? Because is there sufficient evidence, in your view, um, and presumably there is in Nicola Sturgeon's view, that enough people have changed their mind now in Scotland and enough people would actually vote for an independent Scotland? Yeah, it's. Um, Do you I think there think, is? I personally, and this is, you know, I, I've done my own polling, usually in the sorts of pubs that you and I used mm. to frequent. Um, so it's entirely unscientific. But I've been aware of more people whom I know voted, who, who I know voted no, or who voted voted to stay in the UK in 2014, who are now coming around to the idea of an independent Scotland. Um, they're doing so reluctantly. You know, there are still big economic risks. There's it's a big step into the unknown. They they love they love England. They holiday in England. They've got English relatives. Part of them consider themselves to be English, not British. But you can't overestimate how much damage relations um, between Scotland and England have been simply because or, or, or has happened simply because of the way, the perception of the way Scotland has been treated um, by Theresa May and the, the Conservatives, the English Conservatives, throughout the last mm. few years right. following Brexit. But of course and, as well... And, and what's... Also, this has also been exacerbated by the BBC, um, you know, cutting away whenever an SN, whenever the leader of the SNP in the House of Commons, Commons gets to his feet to to talk about the latest... Well, don't talk to me about the BBC. You've just got a new BBC channel up there, haven't you? Yeah. yeah Have you been on it yet? It's early days. <laughs> no, actually, I haven't. I haven't I haven't endorsed it. I haven't had the official McKenna. Oh, Joe, OK. Now, look, 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 the time is short, so I'm going to ask you a couple of final questions. So, yeah. the bottom line is that she says she wants to have this referendum before 20, the end of 2021, which is not far away, but she's still yeah. got to get permission from Westminster to do so, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's not much chance of that happening, is there? <laughs> well, that's why yesterday I think um, Nicola Sturgeon's speech was quite cute because 
normally, you know, as, well, as happened two or three years ago, um, Nicholas Sturgeon approached um, the UK government and said, right, we want to trigger a Section 30. Section mm. 30 is that, you know, trigger process that by which Westminster says, yes, you can have a, an independent referendum. And, and of course, um, the UK government said no. This time they've gone um, a slightly cuter way about it by saying we want to introduce the apparatus. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of a soft. It's kind of a soft indie ref, this, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's saying look, we're going to get everything up and running, everything but the section thirty. We're going to present the the arguments. We're we're uh, the, the only Scottish independent sport newspaper up here. The National. Yeah. Um, is, is doing a 10,000 steps campaign for independence where they're looking for 10,000 subscribers. So effectively, the Nicholas Sturgeon fired the starting gun um, on, on the next independence uh, campaign, um, and that has pleased that part of her party, uh, which wants, mm. you know, to do that. And at the same time, those who are more cautious, she's saying, yeah, we're going to get all our ducks in a row before we go for the Section 30. And by that time, Britain will probably be out of, uh, of, of the EU. You reckon? <laughs> You're very optimistic, well, man. Well, you know, we could be sitting here in 10 years' time, you know. Yeah. And, um, but... Well, funnily enough, a couple of people tweeting me now, one marker saying, solve the Brexit problem for Theresa May, offer the SNP an independence vote in exchange for passing her deal. You know, stranger well, things have happened. Is... There, there, there are people in the end, the, the the SNP who would who said right we need to be, we need to get political about this yeah and and I understand that you know this is politics we're playing for high stakes this is their dream their dream is an independent Scotland and the dream of the Brexiteers is is Britain out of Europe yeah without all the mayhem and the chaos so let's let's see if we can scratch each other's back. Yeah, well, yeah. also, nothing to stop Theresa May from promising them a referendum, giving them a referendum, and then winning it, and, say, leaving Scotland as part of the United Kingdom. So it's all it's all up for grabs. It's fascinating times. And also, a couple of people are asking me this. One final question to you, Kevin. Has anybody thought about what the border would look like if there was, in fact, um, uh, independent Scotland? Would it be a hard border, people are asking, for obvious <laughs> reasons? You know? <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a tartan border, yes. Mike, and um, there would be as I said, England overnight and an independent Scotland or the rest of the UK would become our closest ally mm. and I wouldn't see, unless the UK government decided to play silly buggers, but there should not be any problem with a border. It would be the softest of soft yes. borders. I'll still be able to come and get married at Gretna Green, hopefully, but uh, we shall see. Kevin, thank you very much indeed. Kevin McKenna, columnist with The Observer, uh, formerly with The Herald as well, of course, uh, a man who speaks an awful lot of sense up there uh, in the north of England. But is it actually true that there are more people in Scotland who would now vote for a, uh, an independent Scotland who didn't vote for it the last time around in 2014? I want to hear from you. Uh, 0344 499 1000. What about the idea that the SNP uh, gets into bed with Theresa May, figuratively speaking, uh, in order to get her deal through? Stranger things have happened, haven't they? This is Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. I wish I was a fisherman, tumbling on the seas. Far away from dry land and its bitter memories. Casting out my sweet life with a band of London love. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and as if uh, we planned it, we're going to do another story about Scotland here because we're talking about Scottish salmon uh, and how catches of wild salmon have dropped to their lowest level on record. We're going to talk to uh, a fishing agent in a moment. Let me just read you this tweet from Ray. If Scottish independence means we lose the Blackford crazy gang for Parliament, then I will move to Scotland and vote for it. And Rob says the euro is going to collapse in the not-too-distant future. The ECB could go bankrupt pretty soon. The EU economy is in big trouble since November when they stopped pumping billions of euros into and EU states are in trouble and yet Nicola Sturgeon wants to stay part of it. We need to get out now. Let's talk to Mungo Ingleby, who's a fishing agent at Sporting Let's and find out why uh, so many uh, salmon have disappeared. Mungo, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Wild salmon. A lot of people sort of think of smoked salmon. They might think of, um, you know, the salmon that they uh, eat in a restaurant. They might think of uh, tinned salmon. Wild salmon is is, uh, uh, now dropped to its lowest ever record uh, amount. What's going on? Uh, So very important distinction between wild salmon and what you buy in the restaurant. So Atlantic salmon, now you can't sell rod and line caught salmon. Uh, and almost there's almost no uh, netted salmon that you can buy either. So, you know, it's a very sort of separate issue. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, catches of rod and line caught salmon, Atlantic salmon in Scotland have have plummeted in mm. recent years. Mm. And the great difficulty is that there isn't a sort of simple solution because the life cycle of the salmon is unique in that it spans so many different environments across such a large geographic spread of countries. So. You know, you have the upland highlands right through the river systems, out to sea, all the way out to Greenland and the Faroe Islands and back again. And so there's a huge range of variables across those environments. And, you know, there are are a great deal of of different factors that that play into the decline. And so you have warming sea temperatures, um, superabundance of mackerel, you have water quality, you have in-river obstructions, you have predation. I mean, there's a whole Mm. range of sort of factors. And for the last... For the last 
you know, it wasn't too long ago, 2010, that Scotland had um, almost record abroad catches. But for the last five years, there's been a decline. Um, and we've seen the annual total be about 40,000, between 40,000 and 50,000. Oh, right. Last year dropped away to 37, which, you know, that is a record low for Scotland and, and very, very alarming. Um, but what happened last year as well was that there was no rain. And catches of salmon are linked very much to the weather. So the wetter and, I suppose you could say, more unpleasant the summer weather is, mm. um, the better the summer catches. And, and last year, we had the best summer since 1976. Uh, rainfall was one-tenth of the level wow. uh, of previous years. And um, as a result of that, you know, fishing effort in the smaller rivers, where catches have actually held up rather better than more southerly rivers, um, you know, it just wasn't possible to fish because there was no water. Mm. Um, so it was a combination of, you know, the continued decline of runs of fish and also the very, very dry weather. Um, and those two put together ended up with this with this record low right. number, which hopefully we'll never see again. No, sure. And have things improved weather-wise this year for salmon? I mean, is it a bit wetter this year so far? Uh, so this year, I think what's, what's, what's difficult to gauge is, is obviously, obviously we don't have a crystal ball, so looking forward, but what is... Just ask clear, the climate change guys. They know what's going on. They t they'll tell you what well, it's going to do. Well, that would be that would be great if they could <laughs> tell us. But it seems the uh, the water tables haven't recovered yeah. from from last year, so the rain is disappearing very very quickly. Uh, so some of the rivers are low already, but um, you know there's fish being caught, and you, you know there are still a lot of people coming to Scotland to fish because mm. it's you know it's a big you know it's worth 100 million pounds to the rural economy uh, salmon fishing in Scotland, and so you, you know it is a really important issue for you know lots of rural communities and. Um, you know, because there are so many factors, we'd love to find a silver bullet, you know, but just as much as possible needs to be done to try and yeah. try and get things going in the right direction. Because presumably, if it didn't improve, you might find yourself in a situation where you'd have to put limits on the amount of fish that you, that you could catch. So at the moment, um, Scottish, fly, Scottish fishermen um, fishing for Atlantic salmon, uh, we already return over 95% of the fish that we catch. Um, so, you, you know, rod and line fishermen we're not we're not killing salmon um and so you know with the correct handling procedures the mortality is very very low um so you know the fishing community is doing a huge amount of conservation work you know we're not killing and taking fish out of the rivers as a general rule um and so you know we're, we're really trying to do to do our bit so in terms of putting limits on, there are other, other countries, Ireland, um, some rivers in America, um, Norway. You know, there are different conservation policies that are put in place, um, you know, taking into account, you know, fishing efforts, uh, you know, the number of fish that are deemed to be running the rivers, etc. So, you know, fishermen are really, really trying to do their bit already and have been doing their bit for, for, for decades, actually. Right. And presumably this is going to affect on the price as well if, if there's still, you know, shortages or less salmon around. Oh, hugely. So, um, you know, uh, at 2010, at the very, very peak of um, the autumn run, and so there are three distinct runs of salmon in Scotland. So there's a spring run, a summer run, and an autumn run. Um, the biggest contributing factor to the, to the decline is that the autumn run, which was the most numerous, has actually declined the most. And so there was most pressure for availability in the autumn run at the peak of it, so in 2020, 2010. And at that moment in time, people would pay £1,000 per rod a day 
to fish on certain beats. You know, now mm. at those you know same times of year on those same beats, you know, they would be very very lucky to find a taker for two hundred pounds. So, you know, there is some very very significant declines in, in in some parts of the country, and you know that that on the face of it makes it seem very very exclusive, but you know it absolutely isn't, and. You know, there's a huge amount of availability for sort of 30, 40 pounds um, a rod a day. And, you know, the great, the great trouble is at some point, you know, you need to catch something. And so, you know, where once angling clubs had hundreds of members, you know, they're dwindling away. Um, and, you know, it is because the, the runs of fish are, are, are reducing. But, you know, there are certain parts of Scotland that are also doing better. Mm. Um, and it does seem that the north, of Scotland is in a much better place than the more southerly rivers. And, you know, there's a number of theories as to why that might be. The north of Scotland is, you know, the habitat is relatively pristine. You know, there isn't sort of housing and developments. Um, but there are exceptions all down the east coast. So there's just this huge sort of smorgasbord of variations as to why, yeah. you know, why things may or may not be sort of declining or improving mm. so it's 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 very difficult to sort of come up with a silver sure. bullet no of course mungo thank you very much indeed for your time mungo ingleby the fishing agent at sporting lets uh, salmon one of the great delicacies uh, of the western world uh, and indeed of any world uh, but apparently there's a lot less of it around this year uh, than there was last year but we shall see if it improves nice to hear somebody like mungo saying actually nobody really knows why this is happening and rather than saying oh it's all about climate change it's all getting hotter don't forget 1707 it was 38 degrees that year for heaven's sake the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio this looks christine is in south end hello christine hello there how are you i'm fine thanks good what, just, what do you want to say i just one oh yeah i wondered i've just got a question if scotland wants to become independent and they want to stay in the eu mm. will there have to be a border well, we did ask uh, that to our guest who was on earlier. I mean, technically, yes, there would have to be a border. Uh, he was saying that he would probably hope that there would be a relatively soft border rather than a very hard border. Uh, but they wouldn't have the same issues, of course, as Northern Ireland. But they would definitely have to have some kind of customs point, wouldn't they? Well, I was, you know, I was thinking that. And I wonder if the Scottish people would, you know, really like that if they've got to start having everything checked yeah. and... Well, I, I, there's no evidence for me that actually there's a, there's a majority of people now that want independence anyway, because the, 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 the no vote actually won by about 10%. It was quite a big margin. It was bigger than the, the EU referendum, you know. So I, I'm not sure that, that they've got enough people that support it anyway. Well, I, I just wondered, that was just a question that I wondered if the Scottish people realised. <laughs> Yes, I don't think they do, actually. I've been having an uh, interesting Twitter uh, conversation with somebody who said um, that basically uh, it's nothing to do with England. You don't live here. It's nothing to do with you. We'll decide what's best for our country. And I said, well, actually, technically, our country is the United Kingdom. Uh, that's what it says on your passport. It doesn't say Scotland. It doesn't say Wales. It doesn't say Northern Ireland. It says the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And that is our country. So technically, if they want to have a referendum on leaving our country, I think we should be able to have a vote as well, don't you? Well, I should think so. I've got a friend, um, she's Scottish, but she lives in North London. Right. And she's not allowed to vote. That's ridiculous she's not allowed as well. To vote in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, she's not allowed to but vote. If you, but if you've just moved there from Poland, you can vote uh, yes, because know, you live in Edinburgh, which is equally mad. I know. That's her argument. She said that we're not allowed to vote because we now live in England. But other people that just come over and they're, they're allowed to vote. But I just wondered that question if there had to be a border between. 
well, we have to build a wall. I don't know. Well, there's already one there. You just rebuild Hadrian's yeah, wall. I know. You know, yeah. that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> but the difference is, of course, the Romans built that wall to keep the Scots out. You know, not to have a customs union, but there we are. We'll, we'll find out soon. Christine, thank you very much indeed. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Love the old uh, Scott Nats and the arguments that you get on Twitter whenever you talk about Scottish independence. Jimbo, right, has just sent me this. Mike, are you going to get anyone on at all that doesn't hate the SNP like that lying, typical Aberdeenshire no-at-all-cost voter? This is part of the reason I support Indy. The media don't have a clue what's going on in Scotland and treat us with total disdain. Well, you should have tried listening to the first hour of the show when we had Kevin McKenna on, uh, who happens to write a column uh, which is pretty pro-SNP and happens to believe uh, in independence and wants a second referendum. Because, uh, of course, when we had him on, we had loads of people complaining about the fact that he was too one-sided. He didn't talk about remaining in the United Kingdom. So do wash your ears out and do criticise me if I've done something wrong. But please do not accuse me of something which I have not done, because that would be wrong, would it not? Now, let's talk about beer, and let's talk about Mexico City. And who better to do that with than Lisa Francesco Nand, uh, who is, of course, travel journalist, host of the Big Travel podcast, and I think she's just been away somewhere. Lisa, uh, very good afternoon. Welcome. Good afternoon. Yes, I'm fresh back off the plane from Spain yesterday. You were in Spain. Yeah, I, I, I thought you might have been in Spain, but it all looked very jolly. And you had, uh, I like that picture of you all wearing the same top, so I thought that was very funny. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, the airport. <laughs> it was completely by accident, me and all my kids wearing, all my kids, my two children, all yeah. wearing the same T-shirt. You know I when know. you realise you've only done that when you've gone out? I know, I know, because you're rushing around and you don't quite realise. Now, I've never been to Mexico City, so I can't speak about what it's like there. However, I have been to places where they sell sort of large bottles of beer, family bottles of beer, as they call them. People go into a shop, a convenience store, buy them, come out with a few plastic cups, sit down on the stoop and just drink it. Apparently, uh, some politician over there has decided that this is encouraging drunkenness, underage drinking and wants to ban it. Yeah, Mexico City is absolutely beautiful. It's very cosmopolitan. It feels very European. Uh-huh. There was a time about sort of like 15 years ago where it felt like it was quite a lawless place that I hadn't yeah. seen at that point. Right. Um, and you get the impression with parts of Mexico there is that sort of lawless thing going on. And I think like concentrating on getting rid of selling cold beer is perhaps maybe focusing their attention on the smaller things when you've got cartels and journalists disappearing and people you know, getting their heads cut off in yeah. the mountains. It's like maybe you should think about something else that's a little bit bigger than banning the sale of cold beer. Yes, quite. Um, but it's kicked off. Apparently, the hashtag yesterday was trending con las cervezas no, meaning don't mess with our beer. Right. Um, and uh, and people are sort of up in arms, as they say, about the prospect of cancelling cold beer in sure. the market. I mean, it's very hot there, a very polluted place as well, I understand. I mean, if I, I'm sure I was told this, or you can maybe tell me if it's true, that they have little oxygen stations around the town or around the city when you're I, walking I've around. I've seen an oxygen station. But, I've seen an oxygen bar, but right. I think that was just for, like, fun. That's just it a might gimmick, yeah. laughing no, well, at, I was, I I was told, this was, this was some years ago, maybe 10 years ago, but the pollution in the city was so bad because of the traffic, and, and it's a massive, I mean, it's a massive, much bigger city than London, isn't it? It um, is, and you know, a lot of it was destroyed and and re- rebuilt. When was the earthquake? I can't remember. I do remember the earthquake yeah. happening at the time, but right. you know, some hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were killed. And it's a really, it is a really vibrant place. But the whole of Mexico is synonymous with cold beer, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it it's is. Got, it's, it's, got a, quite, it's got some pretty good beer there as well. 
they got the Corona, is it? And um, uh, Desperado is quite nice. Well, it's, Mexico is just synonymous with cold beer. Yeah. This is actually something that's in, in America. The sale and, and consumption of alcohol in public places is banned in right. most public places. I mean, we think it's quite, you know, we had the whole Diane Abbott on the train thing yes. um, here a few days ago, and we think we're quite strict with banning it on public transport, but we can drink in the street as much as we like, as you can in most European yeah. cities. But for Americans, when they come here and they see someone sitting in the park having a beer, it's actually oh, they can't you know, believe that's it. quite racist. Well, when I lived in New York in the 80s, they had the, we'd have a thing called brown bagging it because you'd buy beer and you'd keep it in a brown bag and just carry the brown bag around and drink yeah. it. And that way they couldn't technically arrest you because it was no, I think the rule was no open container of alcohol. So as long as they couldn't see it, you know, basically they couldn't do you for it. America's has got this real sort of dichotomy of laws, hasn't it? Where yeah. you're very strict about buying alcohol. It's got the highest um, age of, of alcohol purchase. It's yeah. 21. Yeah. And But then you can carry a gun if you want to and shoot people. Well, this, is, why, this people. is where they banned Kinder Eggs because of the choking hazards. But don't worry, you can still get down to Walmart and buy yourself some bullets and some guns. That, although, oh, to be fair, Walmart has stopped selling guns now. They only sell bullets. You have to get your guns somewhere else. I mean, similarly, they've got these blue states, what they call the old-fashioned kind of, you know, Pilgrim Fathers-type Protestant states in New England. And for a long time, and I think in some of them still the case, you can't buy... You can buy beer, but you can't buy anything harder than that. You can't buy wine or, or, uh, or spirits yeah. on a Sunday. Yes, I think that's it. Didn't there used to be some sort of law about dancing on a Sunday here? I think when I was working in bars, like uh-huh. even just about 15 years ago, there was some law about not being able to dance really? on a Sunday. It's I never mean, things bothered change me all the time, don't they? Remember Sunday closing, for example? That was just an excuse for the rest of us that worked in pubs to have a massive lock-in. <laughs> and then when the laws changed here, when the licensing laws changed and people were able to stay in a pub longer, it had like such a significant effect on club life. Right. People, even though pubs, some pubs were only open from you know an extra hour longer from 11 till 12, people stopped actually going to clubs because mm. that extra hour gave, made, meant that they didn't sort of have the have the urge that right. they used to. Okay. But in Spain, where I've just come back from and I spend a lot of time, they, um, the, the kids had a culture of doing something a bit like Mexico City, and, and that's why they're talking about banning beer. Uh, it's called going for botellón, which okay. is basically going for bottles, where they go and buy those huge family bottles of beer right. and um, those massive bottles of San Miguel and Cruz Campo and go and sit on the beach, and that has been banned in Spain. Oh, has it? Right. And, and they put big floodlights on most of the beaches at night to sort of stop that and other wow. activities that people were indulging well, in. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it gets hot and summery. You never know what people get up to. But, I mean, <laughs> that's a shame, isn't it? Because you'd always have thought that Spain... Although, of course, I'm, I'm old enough to remember going to Spain when Franco was still around, and, and my father got nearly arrested for walking on San Sebastian Promenade just wearing swimming trunks. These yes, two guys with guns came up. Yeah, these guys with guns came up and, like, pointed him back down to the beach with a sort of button-up rifle. Was it anything rifle. to do with how your dad looked in swimming trunks? He actually looked very good. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot, lot better than I do, I have to say. <laughs> now, the other thing I want to mention to you, just because it's a uh, uh, it's another thing about banning stuff. EasyJet apparently has come out today and said they're going to stop offering nuts to people on flights because of uh, uh, the worries that somebody next to them might be allergic to uh, to nuts, which is this kind of tyranny of the nut allergy now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what you're going to say on this. You're not going to moan about not being able to have your nuts on a. On oh, well, I don't. Plane, I mean, I don't really care. But I mean, one of my pet hates is that you can't. When I go to the cinema now, I can't get peanuts and chocolate peanuts and raisins because they they banned the peanuts. Ah, now I didn't know that, but to me it makes absolutely perfect sense. I mean, you know, it's quite difficult when anyone falls in ill on a plane, yeah. particularly if they've got a potentially potentially fatal allergy. Yeah. Um, and I know that, you know, hopefully they will know about that and have an EpiPen, but I think if the rest of us 
you know, can go without having a pack of peanuts on a couple of hours flight, particularly an easy jet flight to, you know, Mallorca or whether, wherever we're going. Yeah. I think it's not such a bad thing. It's probably not. Think- it's probably not. But surely it's a small plane, an easy jet flight. Why can't they just ask somebody if they've got a nut allergy, which I've seen them do before. Yeah. And then they'll say, look, we're not serving nuts today because such and such a person or a person on the flight has got a nut allergy. I think that's fine. But banning them for every flight, really? Do they have to do that? I don't know. I mean, you don't know how common it is, but if it goes, if it is wrong and it is you that's had the allergy or someone that has the allergy and it does go wrong, the consequences can be very serious. But these things are changing all the time. Do you remember, for example, the thought of smoking on aeroplanes? Oh, yeah. I know, it's mad, isn't it? Mad. I used to smoke on the, well, I didn't, but when I was at school, I was a school kid, people used to smoke on the underground. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's smoking carriages. For a very good the... reason, but you can't imagine that sitting on a massive tank of petrol flying through the sky. No, I know. And also the fact that it's okay if you're not in the smoking section, you'll just be in the robe, in, uh, you know, in front of them. Next so to it, yeah. Don't worry, that'll be fine. Into it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it is remarkable. Remarkable. Anyway, nice to have you back, Lisa. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Lisa Francesca Nanda uh, talking about uh, uh, the beer in Mexico City. Somebody's trying to ban it from being sold, or trying to ban it from being sold cold, which means nobody will buy it at all, of course. And and what about a nut ban uh, on EasyJet? I just think it seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure there'll be people complaining now that they've got nut allergies and they're quite right uh, to ban nuts. Why don't you just stop selling nuts altogether? Because that's what a lot of people have done, which seems a bit ridiculous, to be honest. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, it is, of course, the end of the week. Uh, there's another bank holiday coming up soon, don't worry. Uh, but I'll be working that one as well. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 